Welcome in to the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, your co-host as always, and the other co-host is the great Eric Kane. Eric, how are you, my friend? Hey, good man. It's been a, I mean, it's been it's been a great weekend of sports. I know this uh, Tennessee baseball series wasn't competitive, but it was fun to watch, and uh, certainly Tennessee basketball, college basketball in general. It's been fun the last few days. Absolutely, and you know what? We'll, we'll start there with a, with a little of. Uh, mix between basketball and baseball we'll, we'll get to Tennessee sweeping Iona here in just a moment but uh that that was not fun <laughs> this weekend uh just kind of it, 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 I mean it was a comedy show I don't, I don't even know what to call what this past weekend was uh I, I don't feel like we necessarily learned a lot uh, about Tennessee but we'll, we'll have that conversation and, and we'll definitely discuss the the weekend series for sure but I do want to uh, mentioned the basketball game, not specifically the the basketball itself, but uh, the crossover between Tony Vitello and the basketball game on Saturday afternoon that saw Tennessee knock off number three Auburn, sixty seven to sixty two. The, the the great Tony Vitello made his way over following Saturday's baseball game to sit courtside in typical Tony Vitello fashion, and he was wearing a Zakai Ziegler jersey and. Uh, he, he was asked about the Auburn game this afternoon on Sunday following the, the series sweep of Iona, and he said that I hate to admit it because my number one focus needs to be baseball, but I've been thinking about that game for a while. Someone was generous enough to give me those tickets, but I would probably get thrown out of a minimum of seven games if I had those tickets all year long. So now I understand where Spike Lee and some of those people were coming from. I don't know that I need to be down there again. So great Tony Vitello quote there. But then he also gave some uh, pretty insightful uh, advice, I guess you could say, or just good insight into the inner workings of a team. After that, he said that our team, too, in basketball, sometimes to be a great team, you have to go through some stuff and, and maybe you get into some arguments internally and externally and you play worse than you should sometimes or you play worse than you could have. But a lot of times that is valuable ingredients to being a great team. I think our guys have gone through some of that stuff on game day. It's more valuable to learn lessons, but without being in that locker room, just being a fan and an observer. I think those guys have really found themselves and those guys are fun to watch. How could you not have fun sitting there watching that game? And two, the environment was insane, maybe because I had better seats, but that Kentucky game was unbelievable. But the environment yesterday was better. So Tony Vitello, in typical Tony Vitello fashion, hit all the nails on the head in that answer. Yes, it was a terrific environment. It was better than Kentucky. It was flat out awesome. Uh, everybody was more concerned about that basketball game than the baseball series this weekend, including Tony Vitello himself. And... I mean, and then he gave great insight to the inner workings of a team, and it was a great reminder of, of honestly how great of a coaching job Rick Barnes has done that at two and three earlier this season felt like that basketball team is – it was bound for a week or a first weekend exit of the NCAA tournament, and now it looks like they can make a deep run in, in March. So that was a great answer from Tony Vitello. Yeah, it was awesome to see. And, and you know, being over there on Saturday, uh, you know, about – I guess it's about the fourth or the fifth inning when it really obviously started to get out of hand. Um, and, and Sean, the the SID, kind of said, "Hey, you guys. I mean, we're not going to get Tony today. Like, is that cool?" And we're like, "I mean, it's fine. You got him yesterday. You'll get him tomorrow. Like, 
what are you going to say about this game, right? And he's like, he wants to get over there to basketball as soon as he can. So if if it's funny, too, because he's right, everybody, every Tennessee fan, himself included, everybody was focused more on uh, the Tennessee-Auburn basketball game, but obviously couldn't tell from the baseball diamond. I mean, Tennessee made quick work, and, you know, that, that was completely expected. But uh, Tennessee really, um, you know, from this quote as well, but, I mean, Tennessee's Tennessee's got some really – Really, really good coaches on campus. I mean, when you sit back and think of it, you go through all the major sports. We won't do that here, but I, I think Tennessee, whether, you know, who brought him in, I know Danny Watts brand new. I get all that. He brought in Josh Heupel, but, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, who, you know, Phil Former and, you know, previous, obviously previous athletic directors, even Old going John back Curry. a couple more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Dave Hart. I mean, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Tennessee's got some really, really good coaches, and and Tony Vitello has obviously proven that he's he's right up there with the cream of the crop. The last couple of seasons, the trip to Omaha last year, new contract extension, and kind of sitting back, learning from those around him like Rick Barnes. And so, I think if you're a Tennessee fan overall, you feel pretty great about the footing you are, uh, you know, athletics wise, like why? Uh, yes, absolutely. That that's a great point. And uh, when you sit back and really think about it, that is definitely the feeling. I actually had one of my buddies text me yesterday and and voiced that exact um thought uh that tennessee's athletics program is in a great spot right now obviously football not where it needs to be but seems to be trending in the right direction we'll, we'll see how josh heupel pans out and, and kelly harper will ultimately be judged how she does in march but uh at a at a base minimum you don't have any bad coaches on campus yeah. It's just a matter of can they win to the level that they should. And and for Tennessee fans, that should feel really good uh, because of where Tennessee has been over the last decade at times. The last basketball, baseball <laughs> mix of, of note I want to throw in is uh, Tony Vitello's comment on Zakai Ziegler. I mentioned that Tony Vitello was there in a Zakai Ziegler jersey, and he was asked why he's a Zakai Ziegler fan, and he said he's not in it to make friends. He's out there to win. I'm a fan of the whole group. You probably saw some of that yesterday, but he's one of many Coach Barnes players that he gets to play the right way. That guy, obviously fans draw to him because he's not huge in stature, but he's got the old big heart going on and out there on the court, something every college athlete, in my opinion, should emulate. I don't think the other basketball players in our conference like him, but that's the way it should be. And, and when you think about it, I mean, Tony Vitello and Zakai Ziegler, a, a lot of uh, similar personality traits there. I love that quote. I mean, I absolutely love that quote. And and he's exactly right. I mean, Zakai, he is he is not in it to make friends, right? He's there. He's doing his job. Um, he's, you know, his role right now is to play incredible defense, just get uh, just get on the nerves of, you know, anybody in that backcourt. Yeah. He, he deflects so many basketballs out of, you know, out of bounds and keeps possessions alive and stuff like that. And then, oh yeah, his offense has been coming on, you know, here at SEC play. And then, you know, he scored on what was it? 11, 11 second half points the other night too. So, um, I absolutely love that. And I love the fact that you're not in there to make friends because we can all relate to that. I mean, especially in our industry, it's about building relationships and that is a huge part of it. And you, I mean, you can't be a jerk in this industry because I don't feel like you're not going to go far because, again, it's about building relationships. But, um, you know, you got a job to do. You go in there, get a job to do, get it done, and, and you move on. And so, um, gosh, I, I really, really love that quote. And, the, and Zakai saying, I, I'm sure you're about to get to this. I'm sorry. But Zakai being asked about that post game saying, I saw he's wearing a number five jersey. I gave him a hug. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I 
it's just amazing. That is so funny. It's so it's so pure too because you know he's he's such a young guy. Yes, it it was it was glorious if you are a Tennessee fan because although one's a coach, one's a player, I feel like there are a, a lot of uh similarities between the two and and i mean it kind of feels like tony vitello was the underdog taking over the tennessee baseball program and maybe not necessarily an underdog because of him but i think people around college baseball counted him out because of the job that he was taking and now he's turned it into a powerhouse and i'm willing to call it a powerhouse maybe i'll regret this in a couple of months but uh, to me a powerhouse is uh, a program that just reloads when it loses players it it doesn't Mm -hmm. take a year to kind of or two or three to to get back going the very next year despite losing a bunch of good players they're ready to go again and and make a deep run and it appears that this team uh, has just reloaded and and there's not going to be any rebuilding going on after the teammate Omaha last year so I, I do think there's a lot of similarities from an under underdog type of mentality between Tony Vitello and Sakai Ziegler which was uh, cool to see those two have a, a moment together. As far as the baseball this weekend, it was not very entertaining. Eric Kane, uh, th- there were some some glorious moments from the Tennessee side of things, but just taking orange colored sunglasses off and, and us covering Tennessee and and just us being simple baseball fans that want to watch competitive baseball, it wasn't very entertaining in that regard. Tennessee sweeps Iona this weekend, outscores Iona 68-3 to on the weekend. Uh, Friday, the final score was 27-1, if I rec- remember correctly. That's uh, right. 29 to nothing on Saturday, and then 12-2 on Sunday. Uh, we'll start with game one, just kind of running through the games uh, real, real quick. And by the way, Tennessee outscoring Iona 68-3 to on the weekend. 68 runs, that's a new program record for runs in a series. So just an incredible weekend at the office for Tennessee baseball. But on Friday, when Tennessee won 27-1, to uh, Trey Lipscomb was the story because Trey Lipscomb, Tennessee starting third baseman, hit for the cycle, Kaner, the fourth cycle in the program's history. Uh, it was the first cycle for Tennessee since Jordan Rogers did so against Kentucky in 2016. Trey Lipscomb was – Five for five at the plate. He hit a home run. He hit a triple. He hit two doubles, three runs scored. And this stat is more impressive than the cycle, I think. Nine RBIs. He had nine RBIs on the afternoon. Uh, just a terrific day for Trey Lipscomb. And I, I have a hard time believing that he's not going to be the SEC baseball player of the week after it's all said and done. Uh, and Monday rolls around because he he had a terrific weekend all weekend. It wasn't just Friday when he hit for the cycle. You'll talk about this here in a minute, but he almost hit for the cycle in back-to-back days. He was a double away from the cycle on, he was on Saturday. A, yes, a double shot. Yes, so that I mean that would have been absolute insanity had that happened. And two things about this, too. First, on Trey, uh, keep in mind, too, he was lifted in the fifth inning of Saturday's game. So the way that game was going, he would have likely gotten, I would say, at least two more ABs, right? But he was lifted. So potentially, if they would have left him in there, uh, you know, maybe he would have hit for it again. Secondly, uh, to kind of kind of backtracking here, going back about the weekend series overall, 68 runs, that's 
you know, as you mentioned, it's a it's a program record for runs in a series. And also, in case you're living under a rock and just kind of tuning in, the or you know maybe didn't catch it yesterday, the um, the Sunday game was was a run rule in in the uh, in the seventh inning, and, and that's not college baseball. That was a you know that you come to an agreement, shake hands, kind of the head coaches, umpires, game game officials, and all that say, hey, if this game gets out of hand, the official release said they got to travel back, which is true. You know, Iona from New York, but. I mean, when you when you're getting beaten 27 to one and 29 to nothing in two days, it's like, all right, well, let's not waste anybody's time here. So the game was called um, after, and we'll get into more of that in game three, but after seven innings. So you know, Tennessee could have scored even more runs in this series overall. But a fantastic series. And the bigger was that because of Trey Lipscomb. Um, Trey was just casual nine nine ribbies, like you said. I mean, that is that. I don't care who you're playing. That is so hard to do, right? I mean, you're talking about one away from double digits. You know, driving runs in in a single game. Um, he was seeing everything well, you know, fast, off speed. He was sitting back, waiting for his pitches. He was driving into all angles of the field. He was awesome, and it started. Uh, I mean, he was uh, at one point in time. He was eight for his last eight at the plate this series. I mean, he it seemed like he was just kind of doing everything. He was, and he said the the double in the cycle was his favorite because if if you did not see his double was maybe five feet <laughs> from the infield. When it landed, I'm not quite sure how an Iona player uh, did not catch that, but they it's were, also an Iona team that lost 68 to three this weekend. All weekend long, they had some very, very weird defensive positioning. I'm sure you saw that too. Outfielders mm-hmm. were playing so far in all season or all weekend long, and just, just you know, uh, not not a casual fly ball, but a fly ball that would have been caught if you're playing in normal depth. I mean, just went for doubles and triples this week. You know, wonder Tennessee scored so much. They were, I don't know, it was, it was, it was kind of a, a weird ball club that had some questionable coaching decisions, in my opinion. I agree with you for sure. But again, it, it's why they lost 68 to three uh this this weekend. Trey Lipscomb said that he had no idea he had hit for the cycle until he got to third on his triple and they tossed the baseball kind of back into the dugout for Trey to save. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't know that he had hit for the cycle or that he was about to hit for the cycle until that moment. Uh, said he had done so uh, once before in, in high school. And I, I thought Tony Vitello had a, a really cool comment about Trey Lipscomb after the game. Entering the season, Trey, Trey had always had this potential. We've talked about it here on the podcast, but had to sit behind um, Jake Rucker the, the last two seasons. Uh, and I believe there was some crossover with Andre Lipsius uh, as well. So sitting behind Andre Lipsius, sitting behind Jake Rucker, doesn't decide to transfer, just keeps putting in the work, and now he's delivered. Um, Tony Vitello was asked about kind of his confidence in Trey entering the season despite not having a whole lot of experience, and Tony Vitello said, I felt as confident in him as any player since I've been here. That was a, a very loud statement. Uh, the other storylines from game one, Chase Byrne made his second career start, and Chase Burns looked like Chase Burns. Uh, picked up his second career win, uh, gave up one run. It, it wasn't earned. Uh, that was due to an error on Drew Gilbert. Drew Gilbert let the ball get away from him in center field on a single. That allowed the runner to advance to second. And then Evan Russell, it, it was uh, – I think they ruled it – I can't remember if they ruled it a pass ball or a wild pitch, but – Evan Russell should have called it, in my opinion. The the runner advanced to third, and then uh, I think he was brought home on an RBI ground out or something like that. So the run was not earned on Chase Burns. Did strike out four, 
only walked one and and gave up four hits. So, and that opening game just kind of confirmed to me that uh, this weekend was going to be what it was. We talked about it last week. Iona lost to Old Dominion twenty-four to nothing last Saturday. Lost to to Old Dominion nineteen to nothing on Sunday, and then they come here and lose twenty-seven to one. Tennessee had twenty-seven runs on twenty-one hits. Twenty-seven runs were the second most ever scored during the Tony Vitello era. And Kaner, it did not take long for for Tennessee to break that record of of most runs scored in the Tony Vitello era. It was called a uh, sorry. I was searching the entire time that you were talking. Uh, it was a pass ball officially in the in the uh, in the book. So it was a pass ball. So it wasn't a wild pitch. Which um, no, hold on. Uh, this is this is another box where if it was unearned, it had to be. Uh, um, no, pass ball. Yes, pass ball. Okay. If it was a wild pitch, that'd be on the pitcher, but nonetheless. So uh, <laughs> I'd work through that, right? It's like a math problem. Right. Um, well, it's all good. That was three games ago and a lot of runs, a lot of hits. Yeah. You're, uh, yeah. No kidding, man. But uh, no, it didn't take long at all. I mean, you, you know, we talked last week and don't get me wrong. I'm not going to, I'm not going to act like I know everything about Iona. I mean, I looked, I, I researched a little bit before we, you know, did our podcast, obviously researched a little bit before, you know, went into this weekend series, but I, you know, I don't know much about Iona, right? But, you know, in some of the comments we both were making last week in the, in the lead up to the series, I was like, well, maybe we're kind of putting the you know the cart before the horse here. It's like, yeah, let's let them play it out a little bit, talking about how they're so bad. Nah, we were on point. Uh, it was uh, it was brutal, man. And um, it, that that's eight run second inning on Friday was just like, OK, yeah, just going to set the table for exactly what's going to come. And the way Burns is dealing on the mound, just quick work and all that. He looked again. He looked fantastic. And so. It, it didn't take long to see kind of the way that this, you know, weekend series was going and then come in the subs and it's, it's like, okay, so we're going to see a lot. We're going to see a lot of, you know, Tennessee players, you know, empty the bench this weekend. And so that all obviously started from Friday. And of course, you know, a lot of talk about Trey Lipscomb, but you know, Chase Burns, you don't have pitching, can't do anything. And, you know, he, he looked, uh, he looked every bit as advertised once again for his, uh, his second outing. What is that? Uh, first two starts, both five innings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So kind of taking it easy with him so far he'll he'll get a big test this upcoming weekend mm-hmm. against texas uh, that that'll be fun to watch the, the last thing from friday worth mentioning uh, and then kane you can fill us in on saturday uh, tony vitello was asked if this is the deepest team he's had while at tennessee he said i think position player wise that's a fair statement so tony vitello also uh, believing what you and i even talked about uh, I believe on the preview pod going into the weekend that th- this team is deep and probably mm-hmm. the deepest that it's been. Yep, absolutely. And so, I mean, that obviously carried over to Saturday. Uh, just another routine 29 to nothing, a win for Tennessee. Uh, try, of course, you've moved up the first pitch, uh, first pitch times the last two weekends, trying to maybe, you know, get, get home so that you can see basketball, right? Well, wasn't going to happen for it, <laughs> wasn't going to happen for this series. Uh, but my biggest takeaways in the in the twenty nine to nothing win for Tennessee on Saturday, uh, you know it was twenty nine runs off twenty hits for the Volunteers, no errors, no runs off only three hits for Iona, two errors suffered for them in the field. A couple of things again, Trey Lumpscomb, the story continues. We talked about Trey on uh, you know on on Friday's game, but he about hit for the cycle yet again in Saturday's game. Uh, he was lifted in the fifth for a pinch hitter. Um, he was eight for his last eight in his last uh, you know last couple of abs. Uh, he was five for five with nine RBI the, the the night before, double shy, and he was lifted once he I, b- I believe he grounded out there in his last AB. But officially in Saturday's game, he was three for four with a home run, drove in three runs, scored two runs, stole a bag again. Um, 
and, and I wrote this in the thread, and I also wrote this in the four takes piece that was posted after the game. In college baseball, as far back as Sean could go, and Sean, again, we keep, we keep referring to Sean, the SID of Tennessee. He was looking this up the entire game. There's only been two players to hit for cycles in a single season in college, both coming in the 1998 season. Okay, Derek Nicholson and Spencer Osborne, or Spencer Oborn, accomplished the Ooh. feats. Spencer Oborn. Uh, let's I'm see. Not I think Nichols- with his work. <laughs> I think Nicholson was from Florida. I'm not sure where Oborn was from, but nonetheless, um, let's come about did it in two games, two straight games. So I thought that was so uh, so impressive. So again, you know, enough on Trey, but he was fantastic. Uh, two out magic. Tennessee continued to be great with two outs, and, and the game on Tuesday that was a suspended against Tennessee. Uh, Tag Tennessee scored all five of the run with two outs and, and that uh, yet to be completed a baseball game. But on Saturday, again, it was Tennessee scored 12 of its 29 runs uh, with two outs on the scoreboard. Um, let's see, Gilbert and Lipscomb and Lipschitz each had uh, drove in a run apiece with two gone in the third inning. And the fourth, you had Jordan Beck that had a RBI single. Gilbert doubled in two more. Lipscomb had that two-run shot. Uh, there and then later on in the game, Christian Moore came on and walked with the bases loaded, and somebody else scored a run with the bases loaded. I forgot to put that in there towards the end of it because so much was going on. But two out magic was there. But uh, again, Chase Dolander—that's the last thing I'll say about uh, about this baseball game. Chase Dolander was was fantastic. Had 11 strikeouts in his first outing last week against Georgia Southern. Uh, he ran out of gas there in the sixth inning, gave up three runs. Well, he finished the job this go around. He went five, struck out ten. Um, 47 of his 58 pitches on Saturday were in the strike zone Um, at one point. And I need to go back and check this right now, but he was at one point on Saturday, he was leading the country in strikeouts with 21. Uh, So that was very, very impressive. So I thought he was fantastic. Thought he did a great job of working specifically on Saturday, his off speed. He was putting away batters with, with the changeup, with some breaking pieces, because we know he can throw hard, right? He, he's been topped at 98 so far this season. Really worked his off speed and worked fast again. Looked really, really good uh, against, you know, the slight competition on Saturday. So, Dolander was awesome. Lipscomb was awesome. And Tennessee's two-out magic did a whole lot of damage with two outs in that baseball game where the Volunteers won 29 to nothing. Chase Dolander might go down as Tennessee's best player or uh, best pitcher <laughs> this season. That that guy is is yeah. filthy, and, and and what does that say? I mean, Chase. I mean, it's hard to label somebody as going to be Tennessee's best pitcher, but when you have Chase Burns and Ben Joyce and Blake Tidwell, he, he's going to be back at some point. But Chase Dolander, man, he he is he's gonna he's gonna get a lot of people out this weekend or this this season and i cannot wait to see him pitch next weekend i I can't wait to watch both chases uh pitch next weekend chase burns uh, assuming that they keep the the same rotation for the weekend chase burns will pitch against uh texas on friday in houston at minute maid park and then chase dolander will pitch against baylor on saturday so that'll be a good early season test for those two young men i and i expect them uh, to pitch well. Sunday was a snoozer, Eric. Uh, thankfully, they implemented a run rule because <laughs> the the only thing worse than getting beat 68-3 to over the course of a weekend is getting beat 68-3 to over the weekend and then having to make an 11-hour bus ride back to New York 
which includes driving through Washington, D.C., driving through Philadelphia and driving through New York City. After you have been beaten 68 to three. Why don't they fly? I mean, come on. I understand the budget. I think you saw why they don't fly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, good point taken, but golly, man. I mean. Yeah, 68 to three. I guess it could have been, uh, at least they weren't in the 70s, right? It could have been 74 to three uh, very easily, if not for that run roll. That, that, that is one one way to look at it. But yeah. poor, poor Iona. That, that, is, that is hell. If you, if, you, if you ever want to know what hell looks like, it's losing 68 to three in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then having to bus 11 hours back to New York. That, that is what hell looks like. And here's the thing, too. And I, we're, we're, you know, we're, you're going to tell us about uh, Sunday's game here, but like, you know, Tony played everybody, man. Tony, yes. Tony emptied the bench. He brought everybody in, got everybody some work. And it's just like in football, like, um, you know, th- these guys that don't get to play a lot, you know, they're, they're still out there, you know, running the scout team in football or, you know, running, running, running the white shirts in basketball, or whatever. They're still making the team better. They're still putting in the work and you still will need them at points and times of the season. So getting that valuable experience is so crucial but it's not like you're going to you know, take the foot off the pedal and you can't necessarily do that in baseball. I get it. Can't do that in football. You'll, you'll kind of get hurt, but like, you know, it's like, I saw some comments and there weren't a many, but it's like, Oh, you know, has some dignity. Stop, stop run rolling them all this stuff. It's like, no, I mean, you got the backups in there. It's like, just get after it. Continue to get your work in. So, I mean, I, I loved how so many different guys got working at the plate on the mound and, you know, because again, you know Tennessee might need to use these guys this weekend coming up, you know, down the line in SEC play, and it's crucial to get those game uh, experience type bats and situations. Yes, absolutely, you are one thousand percent correct. They they played anybody and everybody uh, except for the guys that were hurt, uh, but thankfully they implemented that run rule, uh, implemented it before the game. Uh, 10 runs after seven innings. The tweet said by either team. If, if either team was up 10 after seven, then the game would be called off. But we, we really know what that meant, and, and thankfully they did. Although, of course, the, the, one, the one day that they implement the run rule is the one day that <laughs> the, 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 the final score was not as wild as it was the, the first two days. But they implemented the run rule so that uh, Iona could start its venture back to New York, that 11-hour uh, drive back to New York. And, again, it, of course, it was the one day that uh, Tennessee didn't hang 20 on them. They they needed a Jared Dickey home run in the bottom of the sixth inning to, to go back up 10. Tennessee was up 11 to nothing. In, in the top of the sixth, uh, Iona had scored two runs to, to make it 11 to two. So, the, the run rule was not in effect, and then with two outs in the bottom of the sixth, uh, Jared Dickey stepped to the plate and hit a home run to put the balls up back 10, and that closed out, closed out the game and uh, sent, sent Iona back to New York. I still can't believe that Iona came to Knoxville and tried to play baseball this weekend. That, that is literally – I am not exaggerating, Eric. Iona is the worst – baseball team i have ever seen play they were terrible they were but booty terrible i mean <laughs> the the i i swear i could have gone up to the plate and gotten a walk i i i swear i could have and and then during saturday's game where you had four walks in a in a row with, with the bases loaded i i promise you 
if I was pitching, that would not have happened. I I swear it wouldn't have. That that might have been the worst moment of my life. I mean, you're just sitting there, you're covering a game, and it's like, okay, okay, again, okay, three consecutive bases loaded walks. Oh, four. I mean, that that is just brutal all the way around, man. Um, it was awful. Yeah, I mean, they were bad. Uh, part of me thinks too, because you know, a lot of teams up north will come down south and play like the first month of their seasons, just because it's the weather's so cold, it's so unpredictable. Um, I, you know, I don't know Iota situation, but yeah, it was. It was really, really bad. And I've covered a lot of college softball, too. And in softballs, the rules change sometimes. So, again, pardon me, they change from regular season to tournament time, sometimes from classification D1 to D2. But, it, you know, the softball I've covered, like there's a run rule eight after, I think, five or whatever. And so many times softball teams would win via a walk-off hit for run rule. So Tennessee very damn near won on, on Sunday – via a walk-off hit, via run rule. I know it came in the sixth inning, but what if they came to bat in the seventh inning? It was Jerry Dickey coming up there and singles a run through, and Tennessee walks it off for the for the 12-2 win or something. I mean, wouldn't that have been something just weird in this series? Uh, but nonetheless, it came up. Didn't have to worry about that. Just slammed the door shut in the seventh inning, but um, just 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 bizarre, man. That This is uh, – somebody tweeted me when I was leaving the ballpark on Saturday asking, is Tennessee that good or is Iona that bad? And I responded, I think Tennessee's good. I think Iona is the worst team in the country, and that proved it this weekend without a doubt. Yes, and we, we are about to have that very conversation here in a moment. But I, I just want to know, Tony Vitello, if you are listening right now, what did we, the media, do to piss you off? Because why would you schedule Iona and, and make us sit through four hours of that on Friday and Saturday, and and then on Sunday when you finally implement the run rule, you don't even really take advantage of it. So Tony, <laughs> if you're listening, why? What did we do to you to piss you off? I mean, what did I, I text I you, you Saturday? <laughs> I, it, it, I I can't remember. Saturday was, feels like a century ago. I left the ballpark and I said, "Bro, oh, you said, bro, that's right. You said, you said, bro. I, I, I was. It was during halftime of the basketball game." And I was the going first to take half, my, yeah. I was going to take my pee break, and I was getting up from uh, my seat, and I looked down at my phone, and I had a text from you saying, bruh, and I just started dying laughing because la- the night before, I texted you, and I said, have fun Saturday. Have fun dealing with that. Uh, and, and look, anybody who knows me knows how, how much joy I, I get in covering Tennessee baseball, SEC baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport, my first love. Anybody who knows me knows that about me. I, I can speak for Kaner. He loves baseball a, as well, uh, loves covering it, never complaining about our job or, or whatever. But that was not fun. That that was not fun. And, Tony, I, I just please never schedule Iona again. Real quick before we uh, wrap up here. You know he's fan, listening too, so. What's that? said, so you know he's listening too, so. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what he's doing. The, the man who was uh, – at the basketball game courtside less than three minutes after the final pitch on Saturday. I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what he's doing on this Sunday afternoon. But um, fan or no fan of a permanent run rule in, in college baseball like college softball has? Because I am a fan. I tweeted that, and I had some, some blowback about participation trophies and how demoralizing it, it would be to Iona to have a run rule. And in, in my head, I'm thinking – okay, it's demoralizing to have a run rule, but it's not demoralizing to be down 20 to nothing after two innings? Yeah. 
you're you're already there. So like, I mean, that argument's out the window. For me, I, I I'm in favor of it in college because you you see more of this obviously in college. You see it a little bit in professional baseball. Every now and then, you get one of those out there. But like again, it's it's so different when you get to professional baseball because there's so much more involved. It's a it's a fan experience in terms of you know you um, you know season tickets and you got to take the family on vacations and yada yada yada. I know the same can be said for college baseball too. I just I think the two levels are. I did a bad job explaining that, but I think the two levels are different. So I am definitely for it in college baseball. But you know usually you don't need it, but a weekend like this and the early non-conference, you uh, you definitely could have used it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I am certainly a, a fan of it just because it, it's one thing if if the level of competition is the same at, at all times uh, like it is somewhat in, in professional baseball. But th- there's no reason Tennessee and Iona need to be on the same baseball field, quite frankly. Uh, so that, that's kind of my logic behind it. Uh, I, I did not put a bow on Sunday, but just to mention some other noteworthy things real quick, uh, Drew Beam. Got the start once again on Sunday, and, and he looked even better uh, this weekend, which I guess is to be expected because of the team that Tennessee was playing. But he picked up his first career win. Uh, it was his second career start. He pitched 3.1 innings, did not allow a run, gave up just one hit, didn't allow any walks, and struck out four. So Drew Beam looked really good once again. Uh, and then the last thing uh, on Sunday's game, Tennessee hit four homers. Jordan Beck had a a stupid, stupid bomb that he hit <laughs> over the porches, and, and I think it landed over the street out behind left field. Uh, Jared Dickey he hit a homer that we discussed. Cortland Lawson he really he really ran into one and and hit a bomb as well. Evan Russell he also had a deep home run. Uh, so thirteen home runs on the weekend for Tennessee after hitting four on. Uh, Sunday, uh, Tennessee now seven and zero on the season, the fourth year in a row that Tennessee has began the season seven and zero. So some of these Tony Vitello stats are are becoming pretty pretty stupid. But that that was kind of your recap of each game, and and there are a couple things that I want to hit on uh, conversation wise before we get out of here. Uh, I want to mention Cortland Lawson playing shortstop, and, and I want to mention the the catcher situation as well. But but first, you, you kind of asked it uh, a second ago. Was this weekend more about Tennessee or more about Iona? Because I don't want to take anything away from Tennessee, but I worry that people are going to get this this false thought of what Tennessee is. And not saying that they aren't some great team in college baseball, because I, I do think there's evidence to support that. But don't think that this is going to be what happens weekend and week out because I, 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 as good as Tennessee was, and again, really not trying to take anything away from them. I think this had more to do with Iona and just how bad Iona is than Tennessee being that dominant. The way I put it to somebody over text was any SEC team should do to Iona what Tennessee did. Yep. I would agree with that. Um, 100%. It's it, it, both can be true, right? I mean, Tennessee can be good. You can be, feeling confident about the depth of Tennessee, uh, the arms, the options in the field, off the bench, all that. I mean, because I feel good about where Tennessee is. But this weekend was 100% about how bad Iona was. I mean, baseball is not meant to be played 27 to 1 final scores, 29 to nothing. That's that's not baseball. Even 12 to 2, that's not 
you know, you see that more often than not. But I mean, that that's still not really what baseball is all about. So in my opinion, it is 100%, 100% about how bad Iona was. It means Tennessee didn't play well because Tennessee did play well. It would have been more of a telling fact, in my opinion, Ben, if Tennessee struggled with some arms, arms out of the pen, if Tennessee, you know, had, um, you know, a key player go, you know, 0 for 12 at the plate uh, on the weekend, which did not happen. Uh, that would be more telling. That didn't happen. And so it was just, you know, in terms of what you can take away, the big thing was it was, it was just it was Iona being awful. One more note on the home runs real quick. Friday and Sunday, four home runs for Tennessee. Saturday had five home runs. I think this is the case for the majority of the weekend, but I did the research for Friday, obviously, because I was covering it. Every one of Tennessee's home runs um, on on Saturday came with came from somebody else and came from what well, came from an individual batter and came with uh, men on base, which was huge. So you're making those long balls count. Uh, a big reason why Tennessee had so many of those blowouts, but Iona was so bad, and I think it's definitely more to do with yeah. Anybody worth their salt in the SEC, anybody worth their salt in the SEC would have done something similar to that team that Tennessee did this weekend. Yes. Completely agree. Uh, I think we pissed Cortland Lawson off uh, because going into the weekend on the uh, preview pod, we we discussed that he better start hitting the baseball or, or else uh, somebody may take his spot. And look, I'll be the first to admit that, that, we, that we probably had that conversation a, a little premature. Now, I, I did get the, the, the texts and, and the comments and, and the tweets and the posts on the GQ about – Ben, you pissed Cortland Lawson off, and and it it appeared that I did that that Kaner and I both did. But to to reiterate what we said on, on the preview pod, we did not think that Cortland Lawson should be benched, but that we thought that he better start hitting the baseball because there is a trickle down effect that that may prove to be more positive for the lineup if Trey Lipscomb moved over to shortstop. So I know it sounded like we were pissing all over Cortland Lawson, but that, that really wasn't the, the intent. Um, Cortland hit the, the lights out of the baseball back in the fall. Uh, he hit the ball really well heading into the spring, into the season. That's why he's your starting shortstop. Um, but we, we were just having a conversation of what Trey Lipscomb moving the shortstop could mean uh, in terms of a trickle-down effect to improving the lineup from, from top to bottom because uh, you, you get a Logan Chambers in more often. You get a Seth Stevenson in more often. A Kyle Booker, if, if he could start to hit the baseball. Uh, so no no disrespect was intended for old Cortland Lawson, and uh, he, he certainly hit the ball like we pissed him off uh, this weekend. He, he was terrific all weekend. Uh, Tony Vitello spoke highly of him after the game, but uh, I, I think you can definitely see from this weekend, Kane, that that Cortland Lawson is going to be the starting shortstop. Yeah, um, he looked good. He scored, again, Iona, but um, hitting ninth in the order, scored nine runs on the weekend. That I mean, that, that that's awesome, right? He was getting on base. He was, I mean, he was hitting the, the daylights out of the basketball, so good for him. Yeah, and, and again, the conversation stems to, if you're not hitting, you can be replaced because the trickle down effect, I think, proves to be a better, you know, better offensive lineup for Tennessee when it's all said and done. But if you continue to hit and score runs like you did this weekend, again, Iona, maybe that's not the case. So, but yeah, I, you know, looks like Tony Vitello is confident in him, obviously, uh, because of what you put in the work in the offseason, what you proved up to this point. And uh, it was good to see him do what he did this weekend. 
uh, for sure. But again, it's just the more options you have, the more insurance you have. And I, again, I, I, I love lineup flexibility. It's one of my favorite things about baseball. I love playing manager. You know, when you can sit here and make these different, you know, that's why I love, you know, Luke Lipschitz so much because he hits anywhere in the lineup. He hits, he hit, I think he hit on Friday night or one of the games. He had, I want to say, seventh or eighth, and then the next game he's hitting second. I mean, the lineup flexibility is is awesome, but also the defensive flexibility, just the way you can move chess pieces around. That's what baseball managing is all about. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a good conversation to have if you had that flexibility, which is what we were kind of talking about, you know, last weekend, but, or, you know, leading up to this weekend. But now, Corbin Lawson had a fantastic weekend. It was good to see. And having that type of production at the bottom of the order, it's what good teams, you know, always have. And so Tennessee's going to try to get that from him and some others. And I asked Tony Vitello about Cortland Lawson being back at shortstop for the whole weekend. And he said that he loved the last double play that he turned. Obviously, he hit the snot out of one today, although Jordan Beck showed up, showed him up pretty good. So he got teased in the dugout with that deal. He's going to be able to do some things for us offensively and on the bases. But the core of what he brings to the table is leadership in the infield and sound def- defense. He's our guy at that spot, but it certainly helps to know to look out on the field. And if something were to happen with a deal like Charlie Taylor, just taking one pitch off the fingertip a little bit wrong, we've got guys who are prepared to help us win games at every position. So I think that's the main reason you're seeing guys play multiple positions uh, to start the season. And Tony Vitello does this every year, and it's a product of how well he has recruited and the depth that he has built up on this team. So, Uh, Courtney Lawson is definitely your shortstop uh, as of now and going forward, and he has certainly earned it, and and he's a good ball player and uh, should should have a good season. I I would be surprised if he did not. And when we had our conversation the other day, we did discredit the the two most important traits of of the shortstop position. And and shame on me as a diehard New York Yankees fan and uh, a guy whose favorite player – growing up and still probably my all-time favorite player was Derek Jeter. The two most important traits of a shortstop is defense and leadership. And Cortland Lawson 1000% checks the box in, in each of those uh, categories. So I mean, uh, Cortland Lawson will be your shortstop moving forward. You know, I, this is a conversation for another day. Hall of Famer, deservedly so. One of the best to ever do it, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter made some great plays historically not the best defensive shortstop. And that pisses so many Yankees fans off when I say that, but you know, facts are facts, but he's still, he's still awesome. So go ahead and continue. I just wanted to slide that in there to you there, Ben, Ben McKee. You know, the only thing that pisses Yankee fans off more than that. What's that? Or or the, the only thing that pisses somebody off more than Yankees fans and the Derek Jeter conversation about a fielding. Talking about Freddie Freeman, not going to return to the Braves. No, not that. That 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 is getting up there, but not that. Uh, what, what, what you got them? Atlanta Braves fans who uh, lost to the Yankees in the '90s quite a bit in the World Series. So uh, I'll Max. take my Derek Jeter and uh, World Series titles that he helped us win and uh, move on. But I, I know the, the 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 new analytics do not favor Derek Jeter, but the the fact that he has been construed into a bad defender is the most absurd thing ever because he wasn't a bad defender 
he was not an elite defender because the, the new metrics like to take into consideration the range of a, of a player and, and how much ground had, they can cover. He had one of the worst wars historically in baseball, but I love this. I'll close at this. I'll close at this. Derek Jeter, 100% Hall of Fame player. I think anybody that argues against that's a moron. 100% Hall of Fame player. Maybe not a Hall of Fame defender, but he no. did everything else up there, so it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at the yes. end of the day. My my only comment back to everybody is that he wasn't a bad defender. If you want to say yeah. that he wasn't great or he wasn't Hall of Fame worthy, okay, I get it. But to say that he's a bad defender is, is absurd. But Cortland Lawson uh, going to play a lot of shortstop for the Vols this season. And uh, Tony Vitello did have a note in there on that Cortland Lawson comment about Charlie Taylor uh, taking a pitch off the fingertip. And because of that, he was not available on Saturday or Sunday. As a result, Evan Russell moves out to left field. Jared Dickey, not only does he lead off, but he is catching behind the plate. And on Sunday, I thought far too many people were, were reading into that far more than they should have. Evan Russell, as Tony Vitello has mentioned in the past, he's not going to catch all three days of the weekend, especially during non-conference play. Tony Vitello said that last weekend. It's how every college baseball coach in America. It's how they manage. It's what they do. No no college baseball coach in America is playing their starting catcher every single game, every single weekend. That, that's just not how it works. So Evan caught Friday. He caught Saturday. He was due a day off behind the plate. They, they wanted to get him some reps in left field, sticking to the theme of di- diverse lineups and flexibility like you just discussed, Kane. So that's why you saw Evan and left. Uh, Jared Dickey, Tony Vitello said he was going to be in the lineup no matter what. So Charlie Taylor's not available. Evan Russell needs a day off behind the plate. He's going to be in left. Let's put Jared Dickey behind the plate. So no, it does not mean that Evan Russell is not going to be the starting catcher going forward. Yeah, I won't get him a whole spill. I mean, this is you're moving your starting left fielder behind the plate this year, right? So it's not like he, you got to continue to get those reps to stay sharp. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, that's, it's, it's, um, it's just a great problem to have, right? It's if you might need him to play left field at some point this season. Um, if somebody's, you know, like Dickie swinging the bat, you can't keep him out of the lineup. And, you know, we, we got, we got some struggle bus city happening over there in left field. You can always, you always feel confident in putting your starting left fielder back out there and bring in somebody else behind the plate. So it's the same situation. Yeah, I wouldn't read in too much of it. Um, you know, you see it at every single level of baseball, right? Uh, you're, you're not going to you're not gonna catch, you know, three, four, five days in a row. You see it in the major leagues, same with college. It's all about keeping that bat in the lineup somehow, whether it's DH, whether it's left field, whether it's behind the plate. So uh, it was good to see him. I, and that's something for me, too. I was waiting on when we were going to see him log some innings in left field because I felt like it was coming. I felt like that'd be the smart thing to do especially in a series like this, and it happened on Sunday. Yes, and I know there's been a lot of talk, and, and it's been surprising to me just how much shock there has seemed to be about Evan Russell behind the plate. Like he, We knew going into the season that he wasn't going to win any defensive awards, and he hasn't looked like a lost puppy behind the plate, but yet – people continue to be surprised that he's not throwing runners out on a regular basis. Like we knew this going in to the season because of the predicament that Tennessee is in at the catcher spot after 
the West Virginia transfer decided he he no longer wanted to play baseball. And and now people all of a sudden are just surprised that that Evan Russell's not gunning everybody out. And, and it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not taking it seriously enough, but it's I don't think I am because like we already knew this going into the season. I didn't have expectations for him to do so. Just just be steady back there. You know, just, yeah. just don't lose Tennessee the game back there. So Charlie Taylor and, and Jared Dickey, there's a reason that they're catcher number two and catcher number three uh, defensively. And until they 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 have improved drastically, there, there's no doubt about it. But until they improve even more defensively, they're, they're more hitting catchers at the moment. Uh, until they prove to be better defensively, Evan Russell is going to be your starting catcher. Yeah, um, I, I listened to most of the game on Sunday uh, when I was traveling back, had some things going on. But from what I saw from Russell behind the plate this weekend, he was fine. Saturday, he was tested one time. The runner would have been safe. Um, but the throw was right on the money, and because of the throw being right on the money, that Iona runner slid off the back of the bag, and I guess it was lost in there to tag him out, or maybe it was Ortega, I can't remember. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he looked fine. I mean, it was it, it was fine. So at least this weekend, that wasn't an issue. I had a little bit more concerns about it last weekend from what I saw, but I'm with you. Um, as long as you're not losing games, if you're, it's it's why the catcher's spot's my favorite spot on the baseball field. It's it's so much more. It's a leadership position. You got to command a staff, command a bullpen. You got to work with your pitcher in controlling that run game. It's not just on you. So um, he does all those other things well. And I think he'll continue to get better and better the more more innings he logs back there because he he was a catcher at one point in time. um, And now he's trying to get accustomed to it again. And I don't think he's looked horrible. I don't think he'll still uh, continue to be better, but just don't lose games. And I don't think that he will. No. And Tony Vitello's quote after the game was, was very telling in my opinion. I, I asked him straight up what he's thought about Evans' defense behind the plate, and he he saw he said that he thought he's been doing great. Um, and not necessarily defense, but just how he's been doing as a catcher in general yeah. to start the season. And he said that he thought he'd been doing great, and that the, the best thing that he's providing is the rapport with the pitchers, and that that is as important as anything behind the plate, if not the most important thing behind the plate. Kind of, kind of just like that shortstop conversation we were just having. So, uh, Evan Russell is going to be your catcher for the foreseeable future, and it, it, I'm not saying that it can't happen. The Jared Dickey and uh, Charlie Taylor overtake him, but I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And, and quite frankly, I, I I would be at this point surprised if it did happen by the end of the season. But something to certainly monitor going forward. Eric, this this weekend was boring. But this upcoming week, it's going to be a good one for the vaults. ETSU on Tuesday, there should be some fireworks there. Those two teams always have fireworks when they play one another. And then it's off to Minute Maid Park in Houston, Texas, to play Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma. This week will be much more entertaining than last week. Yeah, not that anyone cares. Um, I'm not sure if you've made this announcement yet, but if not, apologies. You're going to be there. Um, That's going to be awesome. I am so freaking jealous uh, being just the baseball guy that I am. I I mean, this doesn't work well for podcasting, but I've got baseball stuff all behind me right now. I've got a I've got a little pick stitch board on parks I've been to that I cross off and Minute Maid's not on there, man. So I'm, I'm so jealous. You're going to have a blast. But what we've been talking about so far this season on, I'm not sure how much we've learned about Tennessee baseball from this game or from this series or whatever. You going to learn. <laughs> You're going to learn about Tennessee baseball this upcoming series for sure. You know, playing the likes of Texas and Baylor and and Oklahoma. Um, 
I'm so excited, and uh, I'm excited to see how Tennessee competes uh, because I do think that that is kind of a scale that we're gonna we're gonna use as a reference um, up to this point in the season. But also, you know, looking back on the season, we'll saying, "Well, hey, look, you know, let's remember this ex pitcher and his performance against you know Baylor on that Saturday night, you know, earlier in the season." Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, you're gonna learn a lot about Tennessee baseball this upcoming weekend. And I, I'm with you on ETSU too. Those two teams don't like each other an awful lot. It, it and they ETSU plays Tennessee well, and that's a good program. And so, um, that 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 is a good quality midweek game, and uh, quite honestly, a team that's ten times better than the team that uh, Tennessee just played uh, this past weekend. In the words of Kevin Hart's father, "You're gonna learn today. <laughs> we gonna learn this week." Uh, Mr. Hart, we, we are going to learn about this Tennessee baseball team. So we will have plenty of coverage. I had not yet announced that I was going to Houston. So, so thanks for ruining my moment. I know just breaking news. Was, I knew everybody was just, you know, on pins and needles on, on the edge of their seat, waiting to find out whether I was going to Houston. Um, not that it's some big news, but yes, I will be there this weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I fly out Friday after the Swain event. So fingers crossed that my flight does not get delayed. Yeah, uh, I'll be getting to, to Houston around three thirty four o'clock and then uh, first pitch is seven central. So I, I should make it in plenty of time as long as I, I, I don't have my flight delayed, which I, I'm going straight to Houston, Knoxville to Houston. No stop. So as long That's as the first flight takes off, I, I should be good to go. It, it'll be a fun weekend and we will have plenty of coverage at VolQuest and not only about baseball, but next weekend, Caner, it, it's going to be quite a weekend. Yeah baseball going on big weekend and and baseball as big of a weekend as it is i mean it, it may be third fiddle uh basketball hosting arkansas senior day checker mm-hmm. tba possibly depending on how the week goes playing uh for a share of the regular season sec title a massive massive junior day for tennessee football recruiting nico iamaliva i don't know something like that uh, he, he's he's going to be in town this weekend, the the five-star quarterback and several other big-time prospects. So, uh, VolQuest, we're, we're going to have people at, at each place covering yeah. every single aspect of Tennessee athletics, and no other outlet will be able to say that. So, uh, it'll be a, a, a big weekend for sure. Eric, how can people follow you and your work? Yeah, at underscore Kaner. Uh, I post all the stories I write for VolQuest.com, post on my podcast for the Locked On Vols po- podcast every single day, at underscore Kaner, and to echo those thoughts, man. I mean, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm going to try to do as much baseball work that you'll let me from here at the home office because, um, again, I just want to be a part of it. It's going to be so fun, but Saturday, next Saturday, is going to be massive because that's, that's Tennessee Baylor, Tennessee Arkansas. And again, that junior day, we're gonna get we're gonna talk to so many of these top prospects. It's one of the it's the biggest football day of the year so far, without a doubt. Uh, so can't wait for that. We'll have plenty of coverage up there, and uh, I'll have it on my Twitter at underscore Kaner. He's Eric Kane. I am Ben McKee. This uh, podcast did go a little bit longer than I thought, but I also expected because I like to talk and uh, Kane likes to talk as well. So naturally, it always goes. Longer than we anticipate or expect to do so. But I, I mentioned that to say that this this preview podcast for the upcoming weekend, it's going to be jam-packed. My, my goal is to get somebody on here to talk Texas, to talk Baylor, to talk Oklahoma. Kaner and I will be on here to recap ETSU on Tuesday night and also preview the weekend ourselves. So uh, look forward to a, a mega 
Diamond Vols podcast to get you ready for next weekend in Houston later this week. So always appreciate your ears. You can find us on the Swain Event, Apple SoundCloud feed, or the VolQuest SoundCloud or Apple podcast feed as well. We hope you all have a great week. He's Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. We'll talk to you Thursday.